once again, we are so grateful you are here as we kick off the series, It Ain't Easy, series on marriage and relationships. And I want to say this, we are going to focus uh, on marriage, but the principles we're going to talk about here apply to every relationship in your life, okay? And if you will apply these principles, they have the potential to transform your marriages and your relationships. But I'm going to say this before we start the series, because this is four weeks long. This is going to be a hard one for me to preach, okay? Here's why. Because when you normally listen to someone talk, you assume they're the expert in this thing, right? And I step up on a weekly basis, and I preach about stuff. How many of you know, not everything I get to preach out here am I knocking out of the park perfectly, okay? I'm doing the best I can, and I am a work in progress. My wife will be the first one to say, like, hey, he's still a work in progress, but that doesn't mean we can't go to God's word and say, all right, what is, what's the goal? What are we shooting at here? And all of us who are on a journey together to say, God, could we be more like you? Could we look more like what you're desiring for us? Can we be shaped into your image, all right? And so that's what we're going to do in this series. Now, one of the biggest problems that we face when it comes to marriage and relationships is this. It's, the, it's a myth that we are taught from a very young age. And what is that? I call this the myth of the one. The myth of the one. Why do we call it that? We have this in songs. You see this in books. You'll see this in uh, movies. You'll see it in TV shows, in reality television shows, whatever you see, this, this myth. And what is the myth? The myth is if I work really hard and, and I, and I f- search the world, I'll find the one. And here's what will happen when I find the one. Everything will be perfect, right? They're going to be amazing. We're always going to get along. You know, in the morning, their morning breath will smell like roses. It's going to be an amazing, amazing experience. Right? And, then, and so we go out and we try to find the one and we work really hard and one day we think, I think this might be the one and we start saying this and we start telling our friends all about this and eventually maybe you take the step and you get married but somewhere along the road you realize their breath doesn't smell like roses, right? Like it just isn't the same. You know, and, and, and things are good and they can be nice, whatever, but at times it, it doesn't work out the way you want to and things can be hard at times and some of you, you've experienced, it can get really, really hard You've gone through really tough seasons. You've started to question things. But the problem is we continue to watch the same movies. We continue to hear the same songs. And it's just, oh, it's just great. Just find the one. It'll be great. And when things are difficult, you begin asking a question. Some of you have asked this before. Did I find the right one? You might ask yourself that. Now, there's some of you, and it's painful when you talk about it. It's painful. But some of you got to the point where you're like, I don't think I found the right one. And you've, you've taken the step to get divorced. And you still have the scars of that pain. And I'm so sorry for what you've had to go through. But, but we experience that. But then the problem is we just begin the journey all over again. So now I've got to find another one. But for some of us, we may not take the step of being divorced. But some of you are in a tough season. You're, you're sleeping in a bed that's very, very cold. Right? You, you don't even like each other all that often. It, it, but you just kind of put up with it. There's others of you, you know what? Marriage is fine. But, but you're constantly trying to change the other one into the right one. Right? You're, you're constantly trying, well, how can I get them to do what I want them to do? And I want to ask this question, and it's this. What if we're shooting at the wrong goal when it comes to our marriages and to our relationships? What if the myth of the one has actually ruined everything? Okay? And so I always have a big so what around here. Every message, I have a big so what, so what, what's the point of this thing? Because I want you to take away something. Uh, but this morning, I'm actually going to start here with a, a series big so what for this entire series. And this is our series big so what. The goal isn't to find the one, but to be the right one, okay? 
And so I'll say this for some of you who aren't married yet. You're, you're not in a relationship yet. You're, you're constantly focused on how can I find the right one out there, but you're abdicating your role to growing yourself. Am I becoming the right one for someone out there? And so that's what you need to be focusing on. But for some of us, we're married already, okay? You're already stuck with the one you got, okay? Love the one you got, folks, all right? But here's what we can still do in, in our relationships. We're constantly trying to fix them and never trying to fix ourselves. We're constantly focusing on their issues and never focusing on our issues. Somebody uh, told this to me years ago, and it was one of the most profound things uh, that I could ever hear when it comes to marriage and relationship, and it's this truth. I am not responsible for having a good marriage. Some of you are like, what? I'm not responsible for having a good marriage. I'm responsible for being a good husband because that's all I have control of. I can hope I have a good marriage, but at the end of the day, she has to want it too, and she has to engage. But my responsibility so often, because in relationships, rather than fixing the marriage, we're trying to fix them, but you don't have control of that. What do you have control of? You. How can I, and so that's the focus of this series. We're going to focus, some of you brought, are here only because you're like, I got to get my husband so they can get fixed. I got to have my, my wife here so she can get fixed, right? And that had a weird play on words, so I'm sorry for that. I'm trying to put that back in my mouth. <laughs> Sorry about that, folks. <laughs> but <laughs> anyways, moving on. Okay. <laughs> but that's why you're here. You're here because you wish your spouse would hear what I have to say. Here's the deal. Stop poking your spouse here this, during this series. Listen and say, God, how can this affect my life? How can I be transformed because of this, okay? And I do want to say this, you know, for, for some of you, you, you desire to be in a relationship, you know, and I'm sorry if that's your desire and it hasn't happened for you quite yet, but I don't think it changes the reality of these truths. But I also want to talk to some of you who are in an abusive relationship, and I know that, that word gets thrown around a lot these days, but some of you are sincerely in an abusive relationship. And I'm not telling you, hey, you just need to stick it out and just keep being the, you know, the punching bag. You need to keep experiencing this abuse and just work on you. Don't worry about them. No, some of you, maybe you need to get some help. Maybe you need to, to talk to someone. Maybe you need to reach out to us. If that's the case, we're here for you, okay? Uh, but let's dig in and believe that God's going to do some transform, transforming work in our relationships, all right? If you got your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1. One, while you're turning there, just a reminder, we're in our Bible reading planners. We're reading through the whole Bible this year. And so if you've kind of gotten off a little bit or you haven't jumped in, go to our website, zchurch.org, right on the homepage at the top. You can click the link and join in. Would you stand with me across the room? If this is your first time, this is just our tradition around here to say, God, we honor your word above everything else. It matters so much more than what I've got to say. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 1 says this. Following God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we are asking that, that this would be a transformative series, Lord, not just a thing where we go, we listen to something, we walk out the door and we're the same. God, I pray that you would change us, change our hearts, change our minds, change our relationship, change our harms, transform generations because of what takes place in the next four weeks. That's our prayer, God. We pray that in the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. So before we ever dig into passages of scripture, we always ask a very simple question. What is the context? 
What is the context, all right? What's the context of this passage? When we look at the book of Ephesians, what's the book of Ephesians? It's a letter written by someone, the Apostle Paul. Who's Paul? We talked about it last Sunday. Paul was a guy who was persecuting the church, but he came face-to-face with a resurrected Jesus, and he became a church planner, planting churches all over the place. And so after he had done that, when he would leave a church, oftentimes he would write letters back to those churches to encourage them in their faith, to inspire them in their faith. And that's what the book of Ephesians is. It was written not just to one singular church, but to a whole group of churches in the area of Ephesus. And so they're there to encourage them in their faith. These are believers he's writing to. And so if you've read Ephesians, the first chapter of Ephesians is extremely encouraging. I memorized it years ago, and when I'm discouraged, I just start quoting the whole chapter to myself because it just, it talks about who you are in Christ, the identity that you have in Christ, what he has available for you, the inheritance that's available in Christ. It just lifts your faith up when you you read through that. But when you get to the back half of the book of Ephesians, Paul begins writing, okay, so because of all that good stuff you got, it's got to change some stuff. It's got to have a result in your life. And so we get to chapter 4, verse 17, and Paul writes this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. What's he saying? Can't live like everybody else. You can't live like everybody else. The problem is, for church people that oftentimes we look just like everybody else does, right? We, we do. And if Paul was here today, he would tell us the exact same thing. Listen, you are a follower of Christ. You have been given so much. You've been entrusted with so much. So it should result in something. You should look different. Oftentimes, we got the same values. We're spending our money on the same stuff. We're investing our time on the same stuff. And, and worse than that, our relationships oftentimes look just like everybody else. Does the world look at us and say, wow, they have a, they, those are marriages that I want to have. I wish my marriage looked like that. Sometimes they don't, right? And Paul would say this, listen, things have to look different. And so he goes on in the passage a few verses later, and he says, because of this, there's some things you're going to have to put on. Like, you're going to have to do some things different, but you're also going to have to take some stuff off. You're going to have to stop doing certain things. And he begins to explain a number of these things, and these are the principles we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. But he gets to chapter 5, and I think Paul gives us the model for how it is we're supposed to love. And I think this is the foundation for all of us when it comes to marriage, when it comes to relationship. This is the foundation that we need to be building on. And I'm going to give you a few points here this morning if you're taking notes. Uh, There's three things. There's a process, a journey that Paul takes us through here in this two verses. Point number one is this. Look at his love. Look at his love. It's as if he's saying, like, if you're going to love the way God is calling you to love, to love your spouse, to love others, if you're going to do that, then you have to look somewhere different. What I mean? Uh, How many of you grew up playing baseball? Anybody grew up playing baseball? Okay, some of you grew up playing baseball. If you didn't play baseball, a lot of us, we still watch baseball. And when I was a kid, uh, here's what I would do. When I would go play baseball with my friends, I would try to to bat like the guys that I idolized. You ever done that before? Okay. So I w- I'm a Chicago boy. So I was a Chicago Cubs fan when I was a kid. All right. And th- thank you. I, I'll take that. Okay. And so, <laughs> so as a kid, Ryan Sandberg, Ryan Sandberg, second baseman for the Chicago Cubs. He was great. So when I would get up to bat, I would try and do this, l- this, is this little motion Ryan Sandberg would have. And then when I got into high school, Sammy Sosa was the best. And how did Sammy Sosa bat? Some of you remember this. This is how he batted like this. It was a super awkward thing. And when you would go to a game and you would watch people, you knew who their favorite baseball player was based on how they batted because who they looked at influenced how they would swing. And this is how love is. Paul is saying, listen, 
Who you look at matters. If you've been spending all your life looking at, maybe your parents had an awful marriage, but that's all you know. That's all you've seen. Some of you, you're looking at the movies and you're like, that's what love is. Guess what? It affects the way you live. And the problem in our world is that the natural thing that we point toward is a very selfish version of love. That's what's normal. That's what's expected. In fact, this whole thing of the one, it's built on who's the one that meets my needs? Who's the one who's what I want? The one that's all about me. It's very selfish. That's what love looks like in our world. You see, this is not what God is calling us to. Jesus showed a totally different kind of love. And we find this explained, I think, the most clearly in Philippians chapter 2. For those that are around with us last summer, we walked through the book of Philippians for about 16 weeks. But Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 talks about this. And Paul's addressing the ideas of relationship. And he says this, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He said, this is exactly what he's talking about, relationships. And I think a lot of times we'll, ta- we'll say, well, relationships with other people. I want you to be very specific. If you are married here this morning, let's say, in your relationship with your spouse, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. It goes on, who, being in very nature God, he is God, the eternal Christ, right? This is who Jesus was. Being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. The literal translation there, something to be grasped onto, to hold onto. Listen, he was God. He had every right. He had all authority. He could have done whatever he wanted, but he didn't choose to hold on to that, to withhold it, to use it for himself. No, it goes on in the passage, and it says this, rather, he made himself nothing. The literal translation, he emptied himself. Of all the stuff that he deserved, every right he had that he could have taken advantage of, he emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he says, in your relationships, in your relationships with your spouse, you should have the same attitude that Jesus had. Remember, the God of all the universe who humbled himself to the point of a baby. You realize how crazy that concept is? A baby who requires his mother to feed him, to wipe his butt. Like, that's how far Jesus came down. That's what he lowered himself to. And then he went to a cross and died a criminal's death for us. That's what it looks like. And he's saying, listen, if you want to love the way I'm calling you to love, you got to stop looking at everybody else. That's who you need to look at. That's where your eyes need to be. That's who I want you to swing like. Swing like him, right? That's the call. So we go on, though. First one is we need to look to his love, but the second is critical, but I think it's a step that we miss, and it's this. We have to receive his love. Because look at the verse that we said. He he approaches them and talks to them as dearly loved children. He's reminding them. Because of who you are. Remember your identity. Remember your kids. You are sons and daughters of the king of kings. That's who you are. Remember that. And then remember what Christ has done for you. You've got to remember that. You have to take that on for yourself. This has to be something you receive. Why do I say that? Why does this matter? Because without it, you will look for your spouse to give you what only God can give you. I think this is the problem that most of us married people we have at times is that oftentimes we can be life suckers we are 
We're life suckers. We're walking around trying to suck the life out of our spouse. We're looking for our spouse to be everything for us, to fill us up. They're the ones that are going to meet our needs. And here's the problem. When, the, when your spouse doesn't meet the needs that you want or the way that you want things, guess what happens? You get frustrated. But it's worse than that because they're probably trying to suck the life out of you at the same time. And now you've got two people sucking the life out of each other and frustrated. And, and maybe this isn't your life all the time, but I would guess you've experienced seasons just like this before. You know, I think about it. There's times with me. i got a rough day. I've had a rough day. I've had a hard day. And I'm driving home, and I'm frustrated. And rather than receiving God's love in any way, I'm driving home just mulling over the things I'm frustrated. And I don't say it out loud, and I probably don't even think it specifically, but I'm sure there's part of me that just hopes I'm going to come home, and Amber's just going to fill me up, and it's going to be amazing. The problem is on those days, oftentimes, Amber's had the same kind of day I've had. And when I walk in the door, she's just as dry as I am. And then what do we do? We try to suck the life out of one another. And it results, rather than joy and pain, rather than being grounded in the love God has given us, we're looking to one another to try and fill ourselves up. And that's not what we were created for. That's not what God has called us to. We're called to cast our burdens onto him. Why? Because he cares for us. Like he wants to be the source. He's looking for us to be that one. And this is why our identity in Christ matters so much. Because what would happen if you woke up in the morning? Or let's take the instance I just said. If I'm driving home, and while I'm driving home and I've had a rough, rough day, what if I reminded myself of who my God is? What if I reminded myself of my identity in Christ? What if I reminded myself and began to praise him for who he is and got filled, allowed his love to wash over me, and then I walked in the door? Guess how different that experience would be? It would be totally different. See, that's what we're called to. When we don't receive God's love, when we bypass that, then we're, we're operating on totally empty. And that is not a, a recipe for success when it comes to relationships. So we've got, look at his love. We receive his love. And finally, because of that, then we can give his love. When you are full, you have something to give. When you're running on empty, then you're just looking to suck the life out of everybody else. And if we're going to follow God's example, that's what it said. Follow his example. Do it the way he did. Well, you can't just do it. You can't, you're not good enough to muster it up on your own. You need to have a source filling you along the way. And so, uh, so I want to give you a little illustration here for this. When I was thinking about this, I, I think that a lot of times our marriages and our relationships can be like this. Two dry sponges. <laughs> Two dry sponges. We're just, we're empty. If we haven't gone to God, if we've not filled ourselves up with God's presence, if we haven't allowed that to wash over us, we're just a couple of dry sponges. And we do our best to try and whatever, be nice, all those kind of things, but at times, how do we know this happens? Hear that? Just two, and we just, just kind of nick each other a little bit, right? And maybe this is what your home feels like these days. There's not a lot of gentleness. There's not a lot of kindness. There's not a lot of love. There's seasons where it's just a little. And this is what happens. We got two dry sponges trying to get, you know, some life through another dry sponge. But what would happen, what would happen if just one of the two would actually go to God? What if one of the two would say, God, I, I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to experience your love. And when I start in the morning, I come to you and look for you to fill me up, and I would be filled. What would happen? Suddenly now you've got a little softer sponge. 
And is everything perfect? Look, they're, they're both not soft. One of them's still hard, but something happens when one of them is soft because suddenly this, this interaction isn't as rough as it was because they're not both sucking the life out of each other. You know what actually happens? Because this one is filled, it doesn't dry out this one. It actually causes this one to get a little softer. And I think that's what's called, a lot of times in marriage, it takes somebody to take the first step. It takes somebody to be the first one to say, you know what, I'm not going to wait for them. I'm going to be the first one to take the step. But the biblical view of marriage is this, two people that would go to God consistently and not looking for the other to try and solve all their problems and fix all the things, but to say, God, would you fill me? I want to be overwhelmed by your love. And here's what happens when that happens. You've got two soft sponges, and there is gentleness. There is light. You hear that? Nothing. There's gentleness. Why? Because they're filled up already. But here's the little secret. Here's the little secret when you got two full sponges. You know what happens? When they're both coming to this to give because they're already so full, guess what happens? They both get to receive at the same time because both of them are so full. And, and it's, a, it's a win. Everybody wins in this circumstance. And this is what marriage is supposed to look like. But some of us have never operated this way. So what I want to do is I want to get to our big so what this morning. And uh, we say this every week. So what? What's the point of this thing? If you've gotten distracted by me preaching this morning, you've gotten, uh, you fell asleep or something, here's the big so what, all right? Love in response to Jesus, not in response to them. Love in response to Jesus, not in response to them, okay? So this is why this is a principle that can apply to every relationship, because we all got some thems in our life, don't we? <laughs> we got some thems in our life that we just don't like loving, that drive us crazy. Maybe it's that friend at work, it's that, you know, that person at school, it's that person on your block that drives you crazy. Maybe that's mother, it's that mother-in-law, whatever it is, there's a them there, Okay? Here's the deal. If you, are, if you are waiting for them to deserve your love, you're going to be waiting a while, okay? Okay? But when it comes to your spouse specifically, here's the deal. If you are waiting for your spouse to deserve your love, to deserve your kindness, to deserve your gentleness and patience and all of those things, if you're waiting, listen, they won't. They will never deserve all of your love and gentleness. They just won't. And here's the dirty little secret. Neither will you. You don't deserve the love. See, that's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that Christ loved us despite the fact that we didn't deserve it. That he came to us when we were filthy, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. You don't deserve it, and yet he loves you. The call then for us as followers of Christ, and I would say then when it comes to our most important relationships and marriages is this, that we love in response to Jesus, not in response to them. We are filled up with his love, and then we give that away. That's what we're called to. You've heard the golden rule before, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? That's a nice rule. That's good. I think Jesus even quoted at one point, but... But here's the deal. I think there's a next level because when he talked to his disciples, he gave them another level and I would call that the Jesus, uh, the Jesus rule and it would be this. Do for others what God in Christ has done for you. Amen. Do for others what God in Christ has done for you. What did God in Christ do for you? He gave when you didn't deserve it. He laid down his rights 
when he could have, listen, I think I'm right a lot of the time. I really do. I think I'm a smart guy. I've thought things through. I think I'm right. The problem is in marriage, a lot of times, being right makes me wrong. Like, I might be, it doesn't matter if I'm right. If I hold on to that attitude, I've just been wrong. Doesn't matter. What's my call? It's to lay myself down, to surrender myself, to submit myself as Christ did, left his heavenly throne to become a baby. What's my call? Die to me. You ever heard that before? It's what we're called to as a follower of Christ, to die to ourselves, to lay down our rights. That's what we're called to. That we, would, that we would do for our spouse what God has done for us. It's this thing. I'm not responding because they're so good, they're so nice. Oh, they're being nice today. Oh, they're talking to me nicely today. Oh, no, that's not why I respond. I respond because God is good, right? Not because they're being good, <laughs> you know? That's what we're called to. So how does this play out in normal life? Well, you may, I'm gonna give you some practical advice, some practical ideas of how we can do this. What if you would plan ways to love them? Plan ways to love them. Because you're not always going to feel it, right? You're not always going to, but you plan it. You say, you know what? I'm going to find ways to love them. Some of you are married. It's been years since you've done anything for your spouse. You're kind of coexisting. What if you would plan some ways to love them? And not just to love them in the ways that you like, but love them in the ways that they like. Remember the taco illustration a few weeks ago for the five love languages, okay? Uh, We've got the five, like, what if you would love them the way they want to? Listen, my love language is physical touch. I would love, like, just let's cuddle. Can we just sit and cuddle on a couch all night long? That would just fill my love tank. That does this much for my wife, okay? She's just not fit like that. Her family was not cuddly people, okay? So if I want to show her love, then I have to plan a way that involves no cuddling, okay? How can I love you in a way, and I'm like, hey, I'm over here. We're good, right? So, but that's what it looks like, to, to love her, the way Christ has loved me, it means I got to lay down what I want and lay down and, and love her that way. That's what it looks like. What else does it look like? It, it means things like being the first to apologize. Like I said, I think I'm right a lot of the time. I tell Amber, the issue isn't, isn't that I'm always right. The issue is that you're always right too, and then we have a problem. If you would just let me be right, we would never fight, right? <laughs> does that make sense, guys? I think it's sound logic if you're you ask me, but no, what if you were the first to apologize? Not because you feel it, but because you choose to lay your rights down. I mean, you know, there's times, there's times we might be fighting about something, we're arguing about something, whatever, and, my, and inside I'm like, Greg, you should apologize. And I talk to myself and I say, but I don't want to, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't want to apologize. But that's not the question. The question is, do I want to follow Christ or not? Yeah. And if I'm going to follow Christ, this isn't an option. Like Paul said, listen, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to get all the good stuff, then you gotta, you got to live differently. Another option is this, and I, and I think this is one that a lot of us struggle with, is work on your dysfunction. How many know we all bring some baggage to the relationships? We just do, every one of us. And this is why, this, for some of you who aren't married yet, this is the most important thing for you to deal with right now in terms of becoming the right one. Deal with your stuff now, because when you get married, you're going to bring your whole self to that relationship, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Might as well deal with it now. But for some of you, you've been married, and you're constantly pointing out your spouse's dysfunction and their issues, and you're never dealing with your own. Some of you still have 
hurt. Some of you still have issues from your childhood, still have issues from when you were raised. And it shows up at times, but you constantly want to blame them. You know what a selfless person does? They say, you know what? It's about time I deal with some of these things. I'm going to stop blaming them. Listen, I can't control them. I actually can only control me. How about I deal with me? How about I get the help that I need? Some of you, I think, are in that place. And so I want to give you a very clear challenge this morning. Uh, This is a practical series, so I'm going to give you very practical options and practical challenges every week. All right? And here is the practical challenge. Is today, I want to your spouse, I want you to ask this question. How can I show you love? But there's an important caveat to that. Only ask the question if you can shut your mouth afterwards. Okay? All right? If you can't shut your mouth and defend yourself afterwards, then don't bother asking the question. Because here's what will probably happen is you'll ask them, and they will give you an honest answer from their perspective, and then you'll want to defend yourself as to why you already do that, and I can't believe you would say that. (laughs) You know? And so if you can't shut your mouth, don't ask the question. But ask the question. If you got to get out a piece of duct tape, you do what you got to do. Ask the question, cover it up, and listen. And just listen. Don't react. Don't respond to listen. And then purpose in your heart to say, okay, I'm going to try to love that way. I'm going to lay down my rights. I'm going to lay down what I think, what I think's right, how I think they should have, what they should have told me. I'm going to lay those things down, and instead I'm going to choose to love this way. That's the challenge, a very specific challenge for everyone in the room this morning, okay? But here's, here's what I would say. Just imagine for a second. I don't care how good your relationships are. Some of you, like I said, some of you have great relationships. You've, you've had good relationships. You're right now, you would have it. But there are still seasons where it's rough. There's others of you, I know because some of you tell me this, it's been years in the making. And you are, you are in a tough season right now. You get into a bed and neither of you even want to talk to one another. If that's just where you're at. Here's what I genuinely believe. I genuinely believe that if we would submit ourselves to Christ, say, God, we'll do things your way, God will begin a journey. A journey. Hear this. There is no quick fix in relationships. You know, you don't get to snap your finger and all the trauma you've imposed in a relationship just gets to go away. It just doesn't happen. God, by his miraculous power on occasion, will do that, but most of the time in relationships, there's some residual effect that has to take place. But here's the calling. What if today you would choose to say, God, I'm gonna go to you and try to live out of the fullness of you. I'm not gonna love my spouse based on how they have treated me. No, I'm gonna love them based on how you have treated me. And I'm gonna give out of that. Here's what I believe. If you will do that, I believe God will begin to soften your heart I believe your spouse's heart. And if you both commit to this, seriously, one month from today at the end of this series, I believe you could have a totally different marriage than you do today. But it's not gonna be, happen because you just heard a nice message and you're like, oh, those nice little sponges, that's cute. It's not gonna happen. You've gotta go do the work. You've gotta go do the work every day. Being married is a good, like it kind of reflects what it is to follow Christ. Remember I said, what did Jesus say? You know, you gotta die to yourself daily. Why? Because every day you're gonna wake up in the morning and wanna climb back on the throne of your life and make it all about you. Like, we all wanna do that. I wanna make it about me because I like me and I think I'm important and everybody should serve me. So every day, you have to get off the throne and say, God, I put you first. And in the same way, every day you're gonna have to do the same thing in your marriage. 
Because when you wake up in the morning, I want to wake up and I want, I want my wife to serve me. I want her to do all the stuff for me. No, I got to get off the throne of my own life and say, no, I exist to serve her. I exist to lay my life down for her. That's the hard work of marriage. But as we do that, I think God will begin to transform some things.